Welcome to Fearless Mom. Today we are in week three of the Parenting Posture series where we've been talking about how we have to step into the posture that is most effective for parenting. And that means embracing our role of authority and working and being intentional about building relationship and building trust with our kids. It's not about um, being authoritarian or about permissive. It's about finding that sweet spot. And our pendulum goes like this, and we're looking for authoritative. So today we have some special guests, but before we welcome in our special guests, we wanna welcome in our online moms. If you are watching or listening, we're so glad that technology has connected us today. And our prayer always, is that you feel the group of moms in Austin cheering you on, right girls? We are with you, we are for you, and even if you're watching or listening by yourself, you are not alone. So let's pray and let's get started. God, I thank you so much for this day. I thank you for the gift of family. I thank you for children who are willing to share their stories. I thank you for my husband who is willing to come alongside and um, parent with me. I ask right now, God, that you settle our hearts and minds, that you open our eyes and our ears so that we can see and hear what you want us to learn today, so that we can be the moms that we were created to be, to raise up these children to be who you created them to be. We are grateful, God, that you are so big. In Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. 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 Now, as I said, we've been talking about parenting posture. And so we thought it may be fun to wrap up this series by talking a little bit about what... Oh, you're watching your posture? Yeah, that's good. Uh, by um, talking a little bit about what went well in our home and what maybe didn't go so well in our home and what we learned. We say in uh, Fearless Mom all the time that we're not up here, we're not leading because we parented perfectly. We are leading because we believe passionately that if we can empower and equip parents to enjoy parenting, that we can literally change the world. And so we're glad that you guys are willing to share with us today. Super glad and um, again, I just want to preface it by saying our mistakes are only wasted if we keep them to ourselves. So we're going to be very honest today. And like I said, some things that went well and some things that didn't go so well. So before we get started, guys, if you guys would just give us like a summary, uh, a brief introduction. How about it? Would you like me to begin? Yeah, you, go, you start. My name is Mac. I get to be married to Julie. Yeah, That's, I say the same thing every morning when I wake every up. Every morning, every morning, because I tell him to. Go ahead. <laughs> but it is, it is an incredible privilege to see what kind of happened in our home, mostly intentionally, somewhat organically, kind of being played out in, in Fearless Mom at large, and so it's fun to get to be here. Well, thanks so much for being here. Em? I'm Emily, and I grew up in their home. And I currently am working at Lake Hills Church. I get to be my dad's assistant, which is super fun. We never would have come up with that as our own good idea, but it's worked out really well. I agree. Two years later, still working. So far, so good. Yikes, yeah. And then I also work in student ministry. And I am Joe, and I also grew up in their home. And I am currently interning at a church in Las Vegas. Excellent. Well, we're so glad you guys are here. And so since you already mentioned that you grew up in our home, and we've been talking about embracing that role of authority. And um, I 
I think you would agree that um, we had to really work at being the authority, um, but and there were some things that we did well and some things that didn't. And one of the things that we talk about in um, discipline is giving negative consequences when you, the child displays an undesired behavior. And I, I thought it may be easy for y'all to remember uh, maybe a negative consequence, maybe something that you did and how dad and I reacted or responded not reacted in emotion, what? But responded with negative consequences. Who wants to go first? Emily, I feel like you have some vivid memories. You know, I had my fair share, um, but the one that only scarred me for life is, <laughs> it was first day of fourth grade, fifth grade, older than I should have been, we don't need to talk about it. Um, and for me, Dad was probably, f I was four. You were not four. I was four when he realized, like, the greatest punishment, timeout was worth it. Like, every consequence was worth it because I just wanted to get my way. And so, but he figured out when I was four years old that if he took clothes out of my closet, then it was real. It's called leverage. <laughs> and so I, that was true, oh, too long. Um, but... Her elementary school first day of school outfit was like big deal. And I remember this one outfit that I could not wear because I told the dumbest lie ever. Like I wasn't, I hadn't done anything wrong. I wasn't hiding something that shouldn't have happened. I just lied to lie. I don't know. Wait, give, give a quick summary okay, of what okay, it was because okay, okay. it is kind of funny. It's the dumbest thing ever. So. We had dogs, and I, like, called Daisy downstairs to our rooms, and then I just, like, told my parents that I didn't call her down to my room. Like, that was By the way, it wasn't a rule that you couldn't call Daisy down right, to like, your room. I had done nothing wrong, and I just Slick. lied about it. Yeah. Anyway, so that was terrible. So, you know, honesty big consequences. So I was not allowed to wear my first day of school outfit. And let me tell you about this outfit. It was <laughs> that I remember. You thought she was kidding when she said scarred for life. It was. She's only 25. A, yeah. It was a Roxy, like matching, like plaid. I'm talking brown and coral were the colors plaid skirt, like pleated, cutesy skirt with the coordinating t-shirt that was coral colored with the stitched brown sleeves and like graphic sparkly emblem. It was horrible. And it went bye-bye. And I didn't get to wear it. And I got it back, but I, I didn't get to have, I had to wear old Close to the first day of school. It's terrible, isn't it? Okay, this is a great example of being creative with your consequences. I could tell Joe he was never allowed for the rest of his life to wear new clothes on the first day of school, and he was like, do we typically get new clothes on the first day of school? Yeah, yeah it would have been punishment. It would have been punishment to make him get a new outfit or even just to call it an outfit. Okay, Joe, do you have a consequence that you remember? I do. I remember... I was six, so I've clearly let this one go. Um, but I was, we were watching TV as a family, and I was playing with my Star Wars action figures that I had just gotten for my birthday. And 
I said something. I don't even remember what it was, but it had a just a tinge of disrespect um, to my mom, which that never went over well when dad was in the room. And so he just looked at me and he went, come here. And took me into their bathroom and washed my mouth out with soap. Yeah. I, and I mean, that's one of those consequences that probably we had always just kind of thrown around. With Joe, you rarely ever had to dole out the consequence. You just had to say, hey, buddy, consequence. And he would just burst into tears. Not taunts offenses. And I mean, we never had to come up with any, but that was, yeah, and, and you remember it. And that's when you came out and Emily was horrified and looked at, like, how was it? And do you remember what you said to her? I just told myself, yum, yum. <laughs> Um, we've been talking about the different parenting styles, Mac, and um, I'm, I'm going to say it probably goes without saying at this point <laughs> what your drift was, your natural tendency, and how you entered into parenting. You want to go ahead and talk a little drift bit about that? Drift may be an understatement. Drift <laughs> may be an understatement. I definitely, a long, long time ago, dr drifted toward the authoritarian and that was kind of my person, that is my personality, my raw personality. Uh, and, and some of it was just flat out competitive spirit. I was like, I'm not gonna lose to something that small. <laughs> that was how I, that was my natural reaction. And with Emily, and here's what was interesting, was how it played out so differently with each of them. Because with Emily, if I escalated, man, she matched me step for step all the way up to the top floor. And so I learned with her I had to, I, first of all, you have to pick your battles very carefully. You have to decide, this, this is a hill that I will die on. But I just was going to talk it to her. And so I would say, hey, Emily, I need you to go get your first day of school outfit for me now. Send shivers down my spine. <laughs> <laughs> and and not, not yelling, but not moving the line either. With Joe, Joe was more naturally a pleaser, and so, which sounds great, and it is in a lot of ways, but it also meant that he would tell us things that he thought we wanted to hear just to keep us off his back. Does that make sense? And so, like, I remember going to Joe's room one morning and going, hey, bud, are you up? Because we did family breakfast, usually. And, uh, and I remember knocking on the door, Joe, you awake? Yes, sir, I'm up. Clearly, I had just waked him up. And so I remember saying to him when he got to the breakfast table five minutes later, I said, hey, bud, when I knocked on your door, you weren't awake, were you? He's like, no, sir. And I said, then don't tell me you're up because you, you weren't awake. Does that make sense? So I drifted towards that authoritarian, but I had, to, I had to learn with each of them how to swing back to that authoritative, but also maintaining the relationship and building that trust over time. And I think that's a great distinction to make. And, and we talk about that a lot about um, knowing your child. To teach your child, you first have to be a student of your child. You have to study them and figure out what makes them tick and what is positive and what is negative. Because so, we talked about simple discipline. It's just you know establishing the desired behavior and then articulating and modeling it. And then watching for the behavior. When it is displayed, give a positive consequence. When it is not displayed, give a negative consequence. And then just do that over and over and over and over and over and over and over 
over and over and over and over and over again. Um, and so it's learning your kids to know what that appropriate consequence is. And with uh, Emily, I think probably it wasn't like we were gonna find a consequence, I heard you say, that was gonna make you go, oh, I'll never do that again. There was no consequence that was greater than getting your way. Would you agree with that, Emily? I would agree with that. <laughs> so it was mainly about just doing it over and over and over again and reminding her that we are in charge and that we will stick to our guns. And as you said, you know, stick to the bar. Go yeah, ahead. absolutely. And I think, and I don't want to get too far ahead or maybe too far afield, but I think Julie, Julie has this gear as a parent that I learned from so, so much. Like when she talked about being a student of your children, she was always playing chess while Emily was playing checkers. She was always three or four steps ahead of her and anticipated what would not land well with Emily or how she would respond and with Joe in a different kind of way. For me, I was much more in the moment and I had to learn to be that student in advance. And I think what made a huge difference for me personally because Julie, Julie's a much naturally a much warmer, um, empathetic, compassionate person than I am naturally. I work, I'm trying, but I, I have to work at it. But what helped so much with our family dynamic and especially parenting was playing games. And, and that was something that when we played games together, we had a lot of fun but we also learn volumes, and, and I think we're going to get into that yeah, a little bit. Yeah, we're going to get to because that's such a huge. great, I, I can't say that. I know everybody gets sick of me saying it, but playing games, there's just so much involved Especially there. if you drift towards the authoritarian. Yeah, If for that's sure. your natural tendency, mm -hmm. then it's that much more important, I think, to play. Anyway, I didn't mean to go yeah, off on no, that. Yeah, no, you're but, good, I mean, you're good. And then I, I was saying, like, with, with Emily, um, you know, there we're not gonna come up with a consequence right now. Like, okay, remove both legs. I still got arms, you know. And, um, and then, but with Joe, um, reading him, and uh, it, it, it just took a little more intentionality. Yeah. And so if you have a strong-willed blessing, then perhaps finding the consequence is the challenge. But if you have an easygoing compliant, it is pulling it out of them that is the challenge. And they are just as stubborn. They want their way just as much. You just have to read them a little more intentionally, if that makes sense. I think that a lot of times the strong-willed blessing in the home gets the attention, which is, you know, they're the loudest typically. Not always, but typically, or they're the one throwing the tantrum in the restaurant or the tantrum at the park or the tantrum wherever you may be. And, but those easygoing compliant, you got to really watch them. And I think it, you have to be just as strategic and just as intentional. It's just a different kind of consequence that you find. Because, Joe, you used to say to me, and he knew, he would say, you're scaring me right now. Well, see, he was so gentle and kind, he was throwing the spaghetti to see what stuck. And I would say, fear is appropriate right now. <laughs> Yeah, because it's okay for you to be afraid when I'm upset, you know. And so you, you have to be able to read them and um, embrace that role of authority. And it looks different with each child. And I, I remember, think with each parent. And I remember one time Joe said that to me. He tried that junk with me one time. Like, Daddy, you're scaring me. And, I, and, I, and this is what I went, good. <laughs> then. It was worth a shot. It was worth a shot, but it was pitiful too. Shooter, and so shooter. 45 minutes later. 
45 minutes later, after the moment and everything else, I, I called him into the sofa and I sat down with him, we put my arm around him, hugged him. I said, hey, Hoss, have I ever hurt you? No, sir. I said, then you don't have anything to be scared of. I said, and it's okay for me to get mad at you when you do something wrong? That's okay. I've never stopped loving you, but I can absolutely get mad at you, and that's okay. And that was something he had to learn as well. And that was something that was huge for me because we deal with conflict very differently. Very, yeah. Um, I'm going to so, go ahead and say you guys define conflict very yeah. differently. <laughs> that's also yeah. probably true. Um, and so just that relationship aspect of him coming up after and acknowledging and double-checking and just reaffirming everything speaks even now so that I know when we do disagree or conflict today, even still, I don't have to worry about anything because he was so intentional about it back then. And that's a super, um, a super important thing. It, it wasn't in the middle of the conflict. It was circling back after. It wasn't in the middle of the disobedience or even with Emily in the middle of the tantrum or Joseph's quiet tantrum. It wasn't in the middle. It was circling back afterwards. I think sometimes we are worried, oh, I'm being too harsh or, oh, I need to explain this right now. And I want you to remember the neuroscience that we talked about, how when you're emotional, you're thinking with your amygdala back here and there is no reason and there is no logic. So when you're trying to reason with someone who is has heightened emotion at the time, it, it's not productive. It's not effective. So not only is it wiser, it actually there's science to back up why you come back and circle back afterwards and focus on that relationship. That, that's a great point. Um, okay, so dad definitely was authoritarian, but um, I would say together, which is another great point, if you have a husband who drifts toward authoritarian or permissive, remember our responsibility that we've learned is to be authoritative, not Sergeant Sally, not pushover Paula, but we're working with Coach Kelly right here. And so a lot of times I think we respond to, I know I've done this, when you were more authoritarian, my reflex was to swing and be more permissive. And so then I think we probably communicated, and it was wrong, that we were on different pages to the kids. Um, do you guys ever remember? It's okay for you to say it. <laughs> you remember us, or do you remember thinking, um, oh, they're on different pages? Tell me about that. What? No, I was just going to say, I was definitely more authoritarian mostly. <laughs> Every now and then, though, Julie, like especially if something just got all, you ever have your kids do something and it just goes all over you? You know what I'm talking about? Some of you, like, don't leave me hanging. But, but if, if that happened with Julie, she, she would kind of sometimes swoop in with that authoritarian thing. And, and in that moment, maybe, I would be maybe a little less emotional. Well, because I was, I was reacting in emotion and not responding with wisdom. Let's like, go ahead and call it what it is. Emily, go ahead and give an example. Maybe one time <laughs> I, oh, this is good. Okay. So <laughs> I was, we had, I got a laptop when I was 13. It weighed about 800 pounds. And we, there was no internet in our rooms. And I was so good at rationalizing to myself. I can make it like, okay, well, 
it took like 800 steps, but I got to where it wasn't really breaking Wait, the rule. Wait, when you said there was no internet, we had internet. Oh. They weren't allowed. They could yeah. do uh, Microsoft Word in their room, or, you know, they could work on a paper. Or like play but, snake. Yeah, <laughs> but you were not allowed to go online in right. the bedroom. Go ahead, proceed. Okay, thank you for clarifying. So, one time I convinced myself, this isn't really breaking the rule. Mom walked in, I was on the internet, probably something dumb, like postopia, I don't know. Yeah, it, it wasn't and even anything significant, but the rule was. The rule was no internet. No internet. So I had been <laughs> dishonest. And I remember mom taking my laptop out of, my, out of my room, taking my phone out of my room, and then two hours later coming back and saying, you are so lucky your father was here because I was about to throw your laptop in the pool. And I believe her. And I was. And, and what did I say? I said, when you overreact, when, you're when you react with emotion and it's disproportionate to the offense, whatever, um, uh, then it is because you are offended, afraid, embarrassed. Remember how I listed those? Well, I was offended. I'm like, did you seriously think you could get away with that in my house? I think she said that too. Yeah, that's probably what I said. Oh, let's let's focus on that a little bit more. Go, Joe, you got one to add? Go ahead. No, buddy. I was gonna say, looking back, I'm sure there were times where y'all didn't think y'all were on the same page, but y'all always communicated, whether it was by you saying it or you doing it, over-articulating that y'all were on the same team. And my dad would always say, if we ever had a disagreement or would try to use one to get what the other wouldn't give us, he would just look at us and say, hey, I chose her, y'all just showed up. <laughs> and so we knew, we knew what relationship came first and what was prioritized. And if we had... That, that actually is a direct quote. And if we, we heard had several times. said something to mom that was disrespectful while you had been at work, you would come home and say, do not talk to my girlfriend like that. And we would be in more trouble than if we had said it to you or anyone else. It was like, we don't mess with mom. But I don't think, and maybe it was, I'm sure y'all had your moments, but that's, that's amazing that but you guys thought. Because there were definitely times when I thought Mac was being too strict, for sure. And I would, and I didn't know if my face showed it. That's amazing that my face didn't show it. I never said that. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe we were a little focused on this guy. <laughs> this is just what we remember. Well, okay, so what you remember. Do you remember um, thinking, or do you remember um, feeling like we were too strict or that your friends thought, okay, don't laugh, I'm serious. Do you feel like your friends thought we were too strict or were you ever embarrassed? Go ahead, I can take it. <laughs> um, our friends definitely thought y'all were the strict ones like in the friend group rankings. Um, but y'all were also the fun ones. And so we were also the house that people wanted to be over at. We had rules that our friends would laugh at us at school for, but then they would be at our house following the same rules. Um, Which is a great point to make. We had house rules, not family rules. I mean, yes, uh, yes we had some family rules, but our house rules were our house rules. So if you were a friend and you were over at the house and you did not say yes, ma'am, to me, then Matt quickly, you know, 
inform to you that the appropriate response to me was always yes, ma'am, and no, ma'am. And what's amazing is, like you said, the kids, um, that they can make the adjustment. Even when they were younger, even littles, um, it, it was just, it's our house rules. This is the way we operate, whether you're related to us or not. The kicker was um, please and thank you. If you didn't say that, you had to wait two minutes and try again. And that would get our read. It, yes, <laughs> Reed had a hard time with that. And I also think Gavin may have run more stop signs than I did. Okay, explain, so stop, the, yeah, explain, explain the, the stop, stop sign. sign. So a stop we did sign. have, like I said, house rules. Any kid that was over at our house, they knew our rules, they knew our guidelines, we informed them as soon as they got there. Um, and so, Joe, what was a consequence? For so a stop sign, there was, we live at the bottom of a cul-de-sac and there was a stop sign about 200 meters uphill from us. 100, I thought it was 200. It's about 100 anyway. meters, so back okay, and forth meters. was 200. Okay. Um, we Googled so it. Anytime you were dishonest, said something bad about someone who wasn't there to defend themselves, said a bad word, or said something stupid, you ran a stop sign. Or if the and boys she made got girls to decide if something was stupid. Oh, yeah, I was the queen. And oh, yeah. I informed everyone, I'm the queen, this is my territory, welcome. And if something um, shouldn't have been said in mixed company, that was also a stop sign. Yes. So they and, had to. And so anytime it happened, either my mom or oftentimes my sister would just say, stop sign. And we would take off and run to the stop sign and back. And if we walked it, we had to run it again. Um, and what so was double? Double or even triple was dishonesty. Yeah. If you lied, you had to run a lot more than if you just said a bad joke. So, yeah. Right, because people would deny that they had done something wrong, and then it would triple their punishment. And they love they love to come inside and tell on each other. Yeah. Mr. Shard, Mr. Shard, Reed said Reed said a bad word playing basketball in the driveway. Take off. I didn't say it. And then five other guys were like, "Yes, you did," and he'd have to run it. But what's so interesting, and people ask me about that, like, did you know, did the kids still come over? Even though here's the, it's not rocket science. I always had food. Uh, you, you laugh and you're like, what? no, I always had food. Allison's nodding down here. She was over at our house all the time. I had queso, I had pizza, I had cookies. I had all the soft drinks they weren't allowed to have every day at their house. My refrigerator was stocked with it. You eat healthy at your house, you were always gonna have snacks at my Julie house. I remember Julie standing in our kitchen making panini sandwiches for hours. And what was great was after a while, the, if, you, if you stay there and keep feeding them, the adult becomes furniture. They forget you're there, and then you start hearing stuff that you never hear anywhere else. And that was middle school and high school, but it was unbelievable. Food works. Yeah, it, it's actually, it, it's not a secret. I mean, it, it is uh, pretty, you know, proven that if you have queso, they will come to your house. <laughs> um, and I would make tons of queso. And uh, that is the communicating as we said about building the relationship and building the trust, those kids knew that I loved them and that I cared about them because I knew what foods each one liked. When Care came over, I got the you know different uh, whatever for his panini, or I can't remember who, 
the sun-dried tomato for his. I, I had different things because I was trying to communicate to them I care about you, I love you. Um, I'm looking down here at Deb, her son Gavin was over at our house all the time. He loved Duke, so I had a special Duke cup you know, for him when he came over. Trying to communicate, um, I even bought an Alabama turvis for Reed. Uh, yeah, I mean, and I don't like Alabama. And, but I, would tr I was trying to communicate. Yes, I will give consequences, but it's because I love you and I want you to be here. I want you to be here so much that I will always have your favorite food, if that makes sense. I also think we liked being treated like kids. Like when we came over, it would be the like animal plates with the two ears. We were 17. <laughs> eating off of the animal ear plate. It's true, you guys would argue, I want the snake plate, you know? And um, I was trying to communicate, it's okay to be kid-like here. Um, they actually wanted that freedom when they were teenagers to be children. And so I would cut the apple, here they were, yeah, you guys were 17, the boys were 15, and I would slice the apple. I mean, Gavin would say, Ms. Richard, will you please peel my clementine? I'm like, oh my word, of course I will, honey. Um, and so, I was, they, they wanted that permission. It, it was so interesting to me how they wanted a place to feel like a child um, or, you know, that freedom at that age where it's so tricky. So food, snacks. So um, talking about uh, the relationship and how we were strict, I mean, I, I don't think any of your friends would argue. They love to, you know, talk about how strict we were. Um, but what was it? Why is that valuable from your perspective? Looking back on it now, why are you smiling? Yeah, the, the value of, you know, why was that important? Go ahead, Joe. I mean, I think one, once the rules got established, those were the rules, and there was no us negotiating those. And two, no matter how hard we tried, you created PowerPoints. I did make. <laughs> I made Emily PowerPoint. would do presentations trying to get us to change our mind about things. I made PowerPoint presentations, three in particular that I remember. It was mostly to get things that I wanted. She would say, There's the myths theme. and the truths about a middle schooler having a cell phone. Yeah, she would present she it to us. She was ahead of yeah, her time. Yeah, myths about AOL Instant Messenger. I won't get kidnapped, you know, so, that But kind of did stuff. we change our rules? Y'all changed them as we got older because they adapted to the life stage that we were in, but you never changed them based on what we wanted. You changed them based on what we needed. And y'all also did a great job of being strict with them, but not harsh with them. Like they were very reasonable. If there was a reason we woke up late, the rules still got enforced, but we would have a discussion about it. Were you ever teased by your friends about our rules or consequences? Yes. Absolutely. All the time. Give us, I know what you're about to tell. Okay. I have another story, everyone. So, I had a lot of consequences. I was grounded, I was literally grounded half, I'm telling two stories now, half of my freshman year of high school because their whole thing, ugh, so glad I'm not in school anymore. But their whole thing was, did you do your best? They didn't care what the grade was, but like if there was a zero homework grade, then we were gonna be grounded. Whatever, we, I, was, was gonna be grounded. This is child number two over here. So here's the deal. I was grounded 50% because I would like slack off the first nine weeks, 
then be grounded. So I was fine the next nine weeks, then I'd be ungrounded, then I'd slack off, and then I'd be grounded the next nine weeks. And it was just a lovely cycle. Anyway, the real one I remember, he talked about family breakfast earlier. That was at 7 a.m. And it was our responsibility to get ourselves there on time. And to this day, we disagree, so I'm not gonna go into details, but he thought it was a lack of effort and caring on my part that I was like deep asleep. <laughs> he was like, if I told you we were going to Nordstrom, you would be awake. And I'm like, no, I promise, I'm trying so hard. And I was so good at sleeping, like so good at sleeping. And so I would be late often. And one time, high school, they said, for every minute that you're late to family breakfast, you don't have your phone for two days. So one lovely morning, I strolled into family breakfast five minutes late. So for math, that's 10 days without my phone. And so I went to basketball practice and they were like, Emily, why don't you have your phone? Why didn't you text us back? And my coach overheard that I got my phone taken away for being five minutes late to family breakfast. Again. Okay, there was a pattern, yada yada details that we don't need to discuss. I tried to wake you up. He wouldn't he let did. me. He did. He was so nice. And I was just really good at sleeping. And honestly, we're better now. <laughs> yeah, and we won't get into it because she definitely, it, it, was, it was over and over again. Which, by the way, she was the worst at waking up, and so my dad was bound and determined for me to not do that to my husband. So he was like, I will make her able to true. wake up on her own. That is also true. Why are you telling that Just part? saying. That had nothing to, to do fair, with our parenting. Have you been late to work? No. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Okay, so. You're welcome. To you. So, Mac, you, you talked about how, how valuable it was that we played games and how that was something that you learned um, the value of. And actually, research shows that parents, after they play games, they do feel more um, successful, more, they feel like, okay, I've done something good. They're, they feel more satisfied in their parenting, and that is men and women. Um, and so oftentimes, uh, there is a gap. If you feel like I'm not connecting with my child, this is not working, particularly if you have a teenager or a preteen that you're like, I'm, I'm, we're just on such different pages. Find some common ground. Find common ground that you can build a relationship on, that you can work with. And so Emily looks back now. And Mac, did you have a, um, um, we're not gonna talk about our favorites yet. That's what we're gonna wrap up with. But you talked about learning that. Yeah. Did you love playing Candyland? <laughs> no, Shoots and Ladders was not my bag at all. But I did see very, very early on the value First of all, of the four of us doing something, just the four of us. Then also, we had a lot of fun together, even though, like I said, I didn't like wake up in the morning and go, today's a shoots and ladders day. But I saw what it did for our dynamic as a family throughout the rest of the day. And so because of that, I was willing to play shoots and ladders or Candyland or whatever. But over time, and, and, and I do remember this. I, I remember pointing it out to you. I saw it was an Animal Planet or a Nat Geo thing about, the, about how bear cubs learn to hunt in the wild by playing together. 
Like that's how they develop muscularly. That's how they develop the skills that they need to survive. And I said to Julie, in that, I go, that's parenting. If we can teach our kids so much about life, how much socialization happens by playing as kids? Think about like right now in elementary schools, they don't have nearly the time for recess or unorganized, unadult involved play that we did growing up. And so we saw that, and so that kind of, that, that whole thing from Animal Planet became a paradigm for our parenting that we were like, we're gonna play games together because of what they're gonna get out of it and what they're gonna learn and what we got out of it. We had, we had so much fun, and it was also where we learned to laugh at ourselves. We learned through playing games, and I cannot tell you how important it is. I've heard Julie say this over and over again, and I've heard so many people say, oh, we don't, that, we don't play games in our household. We don't, no, that, we're not gonna do that. You, you, you neglect game playing at your own peril. I'm telling you, it is huge. And Emily and Joe learned to laugh at themselves. I believe that mockery is a way underused parenting tool. <laughs> to learn how to laugh at yourself is so important. Joseph, when we would play sorry, I'll never forget, because Emily is definitely the more vocal of the two of them, but when we would play games together, Joseph came out of his shell, man. He'd be like, hey, mama, sorry, boom, and knock her little, you know, tokens off of the board or whatever, and so he came, he came into his own a lot through playing games. Emily learned how to laugh at herself. I got better at laughing at myself. Julie taught us that she has no rules and can do whatever she wants to when she plays games. That All was when we played basketball. I didn't was, have to dribble. It was huge and for she our could family foul. dynamic. And I could foul. I could tackle if necessary. And it counted if it hit the backboard. Yeah. yeah. And I got two points if it hit anywhere in the vicinity. Okay, you know, we modify. But, but what I also learned was in that dynamic of playing games and laughing and enjoying each other, that was where the trust was built. That was where, you know, and Emily, you said one time uh, that I'd never let you win. That's true. But then you said that was where you learned you could trust me. Yeah, I knew if he wasn't going to let me beat him at basketball, even though I was six years old, he's probably not going to lie to me and let me off easy. So it was, I mean, I, it was huge. And as an educator, I felt like there was so much value in games because they needed to learn to take turns, to win and lose, to have compassion for someone else when they want, you know, if Emily wants to be have kind to, learn to compassion. Joe. Yes. <laughs> no. Well, you. I remember you two, when, when Emily was four, Joseph wasn't quite there yet, but when Emily was four, Julie looked at me and she goes, she is going to have to play team sports. She is going to have to learn how to be on a team. And I still remember one moment in particular. I was coaching her basketball team in fifth grade, and there was a rule that they couldn't press. The, the defense couldn't press. And this team kept pressing, stealing the ball, and scoring. And breaking Emily, the rules. Breaking the rules. And Emily stopped in the middle of the game dribbling, tears coming down her eyes, and looked at me on the sideline going, they're pressing. And I looked back at her, and I said, so what? And so she had to learn how to overcome. That sounds like a little thing, but it was huge. No, it, there, it was, there was not no little, little thing all. where Emily was concerned. But yep. games are huge. Uh, games, go ahead. I also think there was trust built in y'all not letting us lose, but also we had... Not letting you win. Oh, yeah. <laughs> they did they let, let us, us lose, lose plenty. 
Um, but I also think y'all communicated that you wanted to spend time with us and that you liked us by forcing us to play games with you. Emily, did you love playing games? I'm not really like a let's have fun together either, yeah. kind of person. I am. And I'm not good at laughing at myself either, naturally. And they made it where that was a matter of survival. But I'm better for it. But I think y'all communicating to us that you liked us and that you wanted to spend time with us. There were Friday nights in middle school and high school that you were like, you're gonna be home. We haven't had a family night in a long time. And we had to say no to people. And I was probably twerpy about it. <laughs> but you were happy to be with us. And I think that was a significant part of building that trust. Because you have to carve out that time. It's just like, uh, you know, we all know, all the studies show that meal time is so important. And when your kids get involved in extracurriculars, you don't have time for family dinner. Our kids were busy after school, so that's where we talk about um, being an authoritative parent. You have to get creative. You have to work around nap time with your kids. You have to work around extracurriculars with your bigger kids. And so we did family breakfast. We can have a meal time. It's just going to be, and then we had to work around morning practices. When you guys were freshmen, whoever was a freshman, you know, had the earlier practice, seventh grade, earlier practice. And so sometimes family breakfast was 6 a.m. I'm not saying Emily's eyes were open every time. But but she was at the table and we were there. It, it's about getting creative. And you, you think, well, our schedule doesn't allow. Then, fi then figure out what you can do. Don't just write it off. You, you modify. You, you get creative with your solutions. Get creative with your consequences. Get creative with your schedule. You can do it. It just may look different in your home. I think it's really important, too. I just realized this. We've talked mostly about what worked. Let me tell you, I blew it a lot as a dad. I, I've messed up way more than I'd like to admit. And usually, as Julie said, or as, as she prompted me to say, it was because I drifted towards that authoritarian extreme. And that was when I messed up the most. I would respond emotionally. I would respond. I would react emotionally, not with wisdom. And even that, I really believe in God's economy, that is redeemable. Because what would happen in most of those situations, I think, is I would step back and Julie maybe would help me realize that I had blown it or I usually I knew it. But I would circle back to one of them or to both of them and I would say, I need you to understand something. I was wrong. I'm sorry that I reacted the way that I did. I was right in what I said, if I were right. He made sure to say that part too. <laughs> But I would, say, I would say, I was right to be angry with you because you did X, Y, or Z, but I didn't handle it right, and I'm sorry, will you forgive me? And it is unbelievable the credibility and the trust that that will build with you and your child or adult children when you admit that you're wrong and ask for forgiveness, and they kind of have the option to give it or not give it at that point. They're kind of like, well... I'll think about it. I'll get back to you. I mean, it's kind of, it's funny. And I think those apologies were huge, and it helped us realize that they knew they were human, and they knew that they had shortcomings. And what compensated for that also is we were always in the church, and we were always in small groups and volunteering. And so we had other people and other perspectives pouring into us and giving us rules and relationship also. And it was the community and it wasn't just these two that were pouring into us. That's great. And we're, we're, we're going to have to wrap it up fast. But can you, 
yeah, because that, that's not a small thing. That was really and good. And a lot of people will think that we, um, way to affirm, siblings, um, a lot of people will think that we are, um, you know, uh, at church and we have our kids in church because we're in ministry. We're actually in ministry because we love church and we believe in what it can do for a family. Um, you're not supposed to be able to parent on your own. God's design is that the church partners with you and comes alongside you and, and helps affirm what you're trying to do. So can you really quickly, guys, explain how being involved and not just being here, but always going with your age group, even when you didn't want to. That, that was a huge one. Always going with your age group, even when you didn't want to, and then um, serving. Yeah, I think, uh, especially for me, and I know I've seen it in my life, and tons of people now passed me, but as soon as we got old enough, we started pouring into people younger, and so because we had benefited from the kids' ministry, when we got out of it, we started serving in the kids' ministry. And it was in kids where if I had a tough week at school or a tough week in the locker room or whatever, it was going to kids where as a high schooler, you were a superstar, you were a rock star, and they loved you, that it was just a boost not only to the confidence, but also I got to find out more about who I was and how I operated by being in a leadership and serving And role. you did have long weeks at school. You did have Absolutely. hard times in the locker room mm -hmm. and that sort of thing. Absolutely, that was not a hypothetical. There may have even been drama at church, hypothetically Wait, speaking. What? With no. middle school girls being in a room together for more than five minutes. But it was, and there were seasons where like, I didn't have friends my age for plenty of time. And, but it was the people, it was people like Kaylee Wilson, Ashley, we're going to cry. Go away. Um, but the people older and younger, um, it's just the way the church is supposed to work, which I think is the coolest thing ever, and that's why we're, we're here. And, and, you know, preacher's kids, and yes, they love this church, and it's all that they've ever known, but there were definitely times when they were in fourth and fifth grade, they definitely thought they could come into worship service. Every fourth or fifth grader tells their parent, I want to go hear Mac. I want to go into the big church, you know, whatever. That's amazing. I love him too. Um, but you're in fourth grade, so you'll go with fourth grade. You're in fifth grade, so you go with fifth grade. That, there, it's something about being with your own age and, and, and every kid, you know, in middle school, I don't want to go. None of my friends are going tonight. Guys, I can't, for the rest of your life, you will have to make decisions that are different from your friends. Like this is a long-term play here. This is, not, this is not about middle school. This is not about high school. This is a long-term play about building resilience, about building strength, and about doing things because it's the right thing to do even when you don't want to. It's about moving from discipline to self-discipline. It is about moving from I make the decisions to you make the decisions. And I've made wrong decisions and I learn from them. You make wrong decisions and you'll learn from them. It's a long play here. And, 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 and it's church, really, yeah, I can't say enough. This, this is just a universal law and has nothing to do with the fact that I'm a pastor. Nobody drifts away from the church and gets better. Yeah. Nobody drifts away from the church and gets better spiritually. It doesn't happen. So, and I know people say, well, I'm not really into organized religion. I, I like Jesus, but not the church. That's like saying I like Mac, but not Julie. She's my bride. This, I mean, so anyway, 
That's the sermon. But this is a great, okay, we're wrapping up. But I, I, I want to, you're talking about the church and the role that it plays. And um, you uh, talked about being authoritarian and how that's your natural drift. But you did, your dad left your family. Can you talk a little bit about how that changed the parental authority in the home and um, what that meant yeah. for your mom? Well, it meant my mom became the authority in my life and my brother's lives. We had, my mom had three boys by herself. I was 12, my brothers were 10, they're twins. And uh, they were and they still are twins. And uh, my mom became the authority. And, and I remember her telling us as a single parent, and I know we've got them here and we're and watching online. I remember my mom sitting us down one time and not in the heat of the moment, not because anything had happened, but I remember her sitting us down in our living room uh, actually where you and I started dating in Houston. And I remember her telling me when I, when I was 13 and my brothers were 10, she said, I need you to understand something. Just because I am not six feet tall and do not have a bass voice does not mean you do not have to listen to me. For better or worse, for reasons that I did not choose, I am in charge. And so if this is going to work, you're going to have to listen to me. Do you understand? Just like that, exactly. That's pretty good. And she's tiny. She's tiny. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, and so, but I remember that clicking in that moment that somebody has to be the authority. Somebody will be the authority in the house. Now, I would love to tell you that I understood it, and I said, "Yes, mother, I get it. In God's authority, I've, I will affirm you and and submit to you." I pushed it a lot. My mom would tell you if she were here. But I got it. I understood that, and I understood the role that that was. And so my mom was willing to embrace that authority alone, even though she didn't want to. And it wasn't as alone as it may have seemed because she kept us tethered to the church. My mom made sure my brothers and I were in church. I remember going to formals in high school and going, hey, mom, I won't be at church tomorrow because I'm going to be out late. And she goes, oh, no. If you can fly with the turkeys at night, you can get up with the chickens in the morning. Is that great, Linda? But I remember my mom saying that, like, if you go out, that's fine if you go to the formal, but we do church. This is who we are. This is what we do. And, and it made all the difference. And, and just so you understand this, it was the church that saved my life. It was the church that my mom kept us tethered to. It was the church where I met Julie. It was the church coming around a single mom with three boys by herself. It was the church coming around a husband and wife with two kids. It was the church that kept us tethered and that made all the difference in the world. So, how's that? Yeah, I, I think that's amazing. I think that it was in the church where you learned healthy family. You, you didn't Even though see I wasn't necessarily home, living right. in one. Your mom was doing her best to communicate what healthy family looked like, but she didn't try it all by herself. And I think it was because of the church that our, our quote-unquote broken home or broken family got fixed and, and was healed and repaired. Even though my mom and dad never got back together, it was, it was through the church and it was in the power of Christ and the Holy Spirit that our home was healed and I'm still, I mean, my mom and my brothers and I are very close. My brothers, all of them are married. All of them have kids. All of them are, they're, you know, we're healthy, relatively contributing members of society. 
But because your mom stayed because, at it. Yeah. It was My not easy hard. for her. Three boys, no family in town. And um, she, she just stuck with it day after day after day. And um, it wasn't easy. And she didn't choose it. But that was what she did, and she didn't back away. And she, instead of pulling away, she leaned in. And she was like, I, this is my responsibility, and I will do it. And um, she did it. Yeah, she's amazing, amazing. But she also spent time with you guys, whether it was vacation. whether I mean, then she had to go back to work full time. And, and she, she still did it. She, she got creative with that. She got creative with family dinner. She would cook, and they would do dinner. And it would be super late, but it was important to her. Um, and so I, I think the, to summarize everything, it is every situation is different. Every child is different, every parent is different, but we're called to this job and we have to lean in and embrace the responsibility and do some things that are fun for us and some things that are not fun for us for the good of the home. And um, we will all make mistakes and we can learn from them and we can help others learn from those mistakes. So guys, don't throw your child's computer in the pool. Um, yeah, it's not worth it. That would be the mistake, you know, that uh, Emily loved to remind us about today. Thank you. And um, I actually didn't throw it in. No. I didn't. I came so close, which would have been totally amygdala driven. I had to lock driven. the back door. Yes, I, I was close. But um, so wrapping it up, though, uh, real quick, give us, and you can have some time to think about it, but your favorite game. So we, we talk about the value of games and we believe in it wholeheartedly. And I don't know if you guys will even remember the games that we played when you were toddlers. The, um, do you remember Maisie, Emily? You got it for your birthday, Maisie. It was like a basic game. It was, it's all a game of chance. You play age appropriate where a game of chance is where even the two-year-old can win. Um, and we played Maisie. We played, there was a very hungry caterpillar game, also a game of chance. Again, it's not strategy oriented. It's just chance, but everybody can play. And then moving up to, um, uh, you know, shoots and ladders, apples to apples, and Candyland. And again, those are games of chance. And so the more you play those, everybody has an opportunity. Then you start adding the strategy. Um, so it, it's super fun. So guys, do y'all remember what, what your favorite games were? We had to stop playing spoons because it got violent. <laughs> yeah, we are all competitive and we never let them lose. And we literally had injuries from spoons. Yeah, we had to take that one off the table. And we definitely couldn't play that when they had friends over. Like, they did not understand. Y'all remember one of your friends? I thought, I think we scarred her for life. Well, mom legit wasn't allowed to play ping pong in front of new people <laughs> who came over. And our friends were the ones who told her that. It wasn't even us. Yeah. I, Ms. Rashard, you I get fairly spirited when playing games, guys. I asked you about your favorite game. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm a, I, my favorite game, I, my favorite memories are from playing dominoes. That's what and I was I, thinking. Yeah. Where is it really? Yeah. I love playing dominoes because we would always try to guess who got the double zero domino. And, and it became, and Joseph, to his credit, is the worst liar in the world. And so we, like, the whole world knew when Joe got the double zeros. But that was, again, that was part of laughing with and at each other. What was your favorite one? That was my, those are my favorite memories, dominoes, because we would play for so long. But the funniest ones... What? 
are the triggered and spot it, like the card games, you know? Those are great. She's really bad at them. Where you have to I, mentally they process things really fast. They only like to choose games that I was so terrible at. <laughs> I was terrible. I can't process information very quickly. And so any game that it's timed, look, I'm probably getting red thinking about it. Joe, your turn. The Fruity Pebbles game. Oh. <laughs> Fruity Pebbles. Yes, those dumb games that have time limits. Um, I love Connect Four. I will always love Connect yeah. Four and the Game of Life. I, my parents terrified me of debt, so I never went to college in the Game of Life. <laughs> Y'all know that life, you know, you have to borrow money, and he would not. I can't borrow any money. I can't borrow any money. I'm I don't like, want to okay, take out a loan. Joe, it's Sometimes a game. It's, it's okay, buddy. Yeah. But yeah, that one. And then one that they don't make anymore is Madagascar Putt Putt. Madagascar oh, Putt Putt. It was a video game. It was, was a so mini game. It was, it was so a mini good. game inside the Madagascar video it game. It was so good. And you could get stuck at this one hole, and the we waterfall. would all just laugh at each other and cheer each other on. And what was your favorite one that we played? I don't know, but y'all are bringing up some oh, terrible sorry. memories because I do remember throwing a controller or two. I have a terrible temper. That's true. Oh my word! I'm so glad not I was able people, to teach y'all what to do. Not what toward not people. To not toward people. Yeah, thank you, Emily. Uh, but anyway, so that yeah, you I never threw a controller at the children. No, no. Um, but probably dominoes is what I remember the most. You know, I think we played that the most, and definitely not those games that Emily always. Oh, wanted. and catchphrase. Oh, catchphrase. Oh, love catchphrase. Oh my goodness, yeah, catchphrase. Is Another fun. one we have to think fast. Okay, so now we're going to move into a quick time of reflection, guys. And I, um, I want to thank you guys for being up here. Thank you so much for coming and for sharing. Um, we're going to take a minute or two because um, now the, the challenge for you is to take the information, take our mistakes and our wins and our losses, and um, for you to say, okay, God, how can I use this information in my life? How can I apply this to where I am right now? Um, and it, it's, it's information for every life stage. There's value for everyone, and it's about God showing you how he can use it um, in your life. So take a second and uh, stop. That's what the S is for, S-E-L-F, stop, and then evaluate and list. Um, what are some things that I can do this week to build trust, to build relationship, to focus on that authoritative parenting? What are some mistakes I've made that um, I maybe need to apologize for and move forward? Um, uh, you know, guilt is the enemy of forward progress. And so we, we make mistakes, we apologize, and we move forward. So we're going to um, take a minute. And um, Mac, I'm going to ask you to pray for us before we go into that reflection. You bet. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so, so much for your greatness. God, for the fact that you lead us, you guide us. And even when we make mistakes as parents, especially when we make mistakes, you can redeem that, not only in our lives, but in the lives of our children. Father, I pray for each of the folks who are here today who may be watching online, God, that you would guide their hearts and their minds. Help them to take, as Julie said, our wins and our losses and learn from the mistakes that we've made. God, to put into practice your principles, this relationship with you in a way that blesses and benefits and grows their children up to be everything you've created them to be. I thank you so, so much for Fearless Mom, for what you're doing in the lives, not only of the moms and the dads who will watch, but in the lives of the children who benefit, 
who grow up in these homes committed to being who you have created us to be. We ask this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.